Hello, and welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. This is the podcast where we want to help you think through and understand every aspect of culture from a biblical perspective and bring all things under subjection to King Jesus. Today, my guest is Douglas Wilson, and he's the pastor at Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. He's an author of many, many books, and he's a, uh, he's a well-known, in some circles, uh, cultural pugilist. That's, uh, that's not my term. Doug and his wife Nancy visited the Ezra Institute recently for a couple of events, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with him about, uh, about a few, other, few issues. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the abortion fight. We talk about the god of Demos and the, uh, the idol of choice. Doug explains why the, uh, the abortion issue is a fight that the Christian side is slowly but inexorably winning. And we finish up with Doug offering some counsel for for those Christians, those pro-lifers who may feel like they can't uh, they can't say anything. They're apprehensive or nervous, or uh, they can't uh, they can't say anything in their circles about this uh, about this question. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope uh, I hope it motivates you like it motivated me. Doug Wilson, welcome to the show once again. It's been really great to have you with us. Yeah, I've been been very pleasant being here. Thank you. So you, uh, we were, we were talking about uh, the abortion issue, and you just uh, just this morning you put out uh, put out a blog about uh, why abortion matters. Yes. Um, yes. I was just wondering uh, if can you uh, starting from scripture, can you work us through a summary of that case? Sure. Um, let me begin with scriptures and then move to scripture. Great. Okay, because that's the fundamental issue. Um, for Christians who are, you know, let's say a young Christian or someone who's not studied the issue before, wh- where does the Bible, um, wh- where and how does the Bible uh, require a pro-life position? Well, I would start with Exodus 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Um God prohibits murder, and murder is prohibited for human beings, and an unborn child is a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we ask uh, colloquially, uh, when does life begin, we should actu- actually ask, when does the image of God take shape? When, do, when, when is the image of God um, embedded? And the image of God is embedded at the moment of conception. Uh, in Genesis 1, it says that we are uh, created in the image of God, male and female created he them. When when the egg is fertilized, uh, male and female is determined. All your care, height, uh, hair color, eye color, everything is settled at that moment. And you are now, congratulations, a member of the human race, which bears the image of God. And the reason murder is prohibited, Genesis 9, is because the victim bears the image of God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's what determines the penalty. So if if a man kills a chicken for dinner, um, that is not a problem. That's entirely lawful because the chicken is not created in the image of God. Uh, if you take a human life, you can only do so lawfully if you're deputized by God. And then to do so, if you're the magistrate or if it's self-defense or some. God has given you permission to defend yourself or to 
apply God's sanctions, as Genesis 9 requires. If a man kills another man, you're to execute him because the, because the victim bears the image of God. And this leads to, um, I think, a fundamental issue and a, a suggestion I'd want to make to pro-lifers, and that is to stop talking about the sanctity of human life. Um, human life is not the standard. It's uh, Human life is the thing which the standard protects. Right. So, so right. Uh, I would I would encourage us to talk about the sanctity of God's law, the dignity of human life. Right. So because God's law is holy, because we affirm the sanctity of God's holy law, we may therefore talk about the consequent dignity of human life. All right. So that's the uh, and and you have another a number of other passages. John the Baptist leapt for joy uh, upon meeting. Mary and yeah. the Lord, uh, he was in utero and he leapt for joy, according to his mother, um, Elizabeth. In in the law, if two men are fighting and they careen into a pregnant woman and she gives birth, you shall take um, eye for eye, life for life, tooth for tooth, um, up, applying the same standard to the damage done to the unborn child that it is applied to someone who's grown, who mm-hmm. suffers that mm-hmm. injury. If someone says, well, how do you know it's not the woman who is hurt and I variety too? Well, if it's the woman who's hurt, her being pregnant is irrelevant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. In other, so it's, it's clear that the Bible applies the same standards of justice to an unborn child uh, as to someone who's already born or someone who is uh, older. But the thing that the, the real issue is not so much this scripture or that scripture but rather the fact of scripture, the fact of revelation from God. So I have, um, I, I think that the abortion debate is actually ground zero of all of our culture wars. Everything, everything else, um, homosexual mirage, um, the uh, social justice, socialism, all of those things are part of this big issue, but uh, I call abortion the blood sacrament of secular humanism. Mm. Uh, the secular order requires blood sacrifice, this kind of blood sacrifice. And um, and so consequently, the culture wars are all, uh, all battles over the dictionary. Right. Okay. Yeah. Who, who gets to define who is who and what is what? Right. Who defines? Who's in control of the dictionary? Who controls the definition of racism? Who controls the definition of poverty? Who controls the definition of justice? Who controls the definition of boy? Who controls the definition of girl? Yeah. Okay. Now, Christians say that God, Jehovah, uh, revealed to us in Jesus Christ is the source of all definition, right? Christianity is a logocentric faith yeah. centered on the word uh, Jesus, the logos, the ultimate infinite word. So the, the thing that's interesting is your your laws are going to reflect the God of the system. Okay. So for Christians, the God, uh, Jehovah is immutable. He does not change. He's also holy. So that means unchangeable holiness. So Jehovah is holy and he does not change. Consequently, the laws that are based on his character are going to be holy and they will not change. They're not going to be mutable. They're, they're not going to shift around. Yeah. In a secular order, 
Demos is God. This is a democracy. The, the rule of Demos, the rule of the people. Yeah. Now, if the people are the source of the law, well, what, are, what is Demos like? Well, con- compared to Jehovah, Jehovah is holy. Demos is unholy. Right? Uh, Jehovah does not change. Demos changes all the time. Right. <laughs> okay? Right. So we're, we're going to shift. Or we're fickle. Demos is fickle. Mm-hmm. So he shifts. 51%. Around, 51%. Everything can change from one election to another. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, wait. We're going to go this way. No, wait. We're going to go that way again. No, wait. You know, um, back and forth. So we are fickle in our sinfulness. We are fickle in our our unholiness, changing from this sin to that sin. We careen between licentiousness and you know austere asceticism. We careen be, between um, being belligerent and warlike and being pacifistic and supine. You know, we just we're just all over the map. Does, does Demos has, has Demos been pictorially represented? Um, Picked, I don't, what uh, do you mean so by pictorial? So I was thinking, like, what is, uh, are there representations of demos that are carvings or idols of, oh, of um, demos? Uh, yeah. Um, no, it's, it sounds like a squirrel. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, any, it certainly acts squirrely. Um, you have, um, sorry, just an uh, aside. No, 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 that's a very reasonable aside. Um, so, um, the closest that I would, the closest pictorial representation in modern times would be things like in America, uh, uh, Uncle Sam, right? Right. right. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. He's he's supposed to he represents and embodies the will of the people, mm-hmm. or or uh, was it John Bull in England? In different caricatures or abstractions. Right. In the so in- it's like, you know rugged and sinewy with his sleeves rolled up right so when it's we, war time yeah we yeah correct it's time to make more munitions boys yeah. <laughs> you know um so let's rally around this this uh, sort of thing so the difficulty so you have an absolute and fundamental collision between these two words so you have the fact of scripture on the on the one hand and the the shifting sands of popular opinion on the other and so, um, the the people who are arguing for um, the, the the authority of Demos are are saying, "Well, we do. Everybody knows this. This is what we this is what we've agreed on. And if you disagree with disagree with us, you're a hater by mm-hmm. by definition, and we're going to punish you." But what they're let's look closely at what they're doing. They're saying, and in in the modern context, secular democracy is greatly indebted to existentialism okay in existentialism existence precedes essence yeah okay <laughs> so um the essence the who who you really are is determined by you and your own choices so you make your own meaning according to jean paul sartre mm-hmm. uh, would say you you make your own choices you make your own meaning and then you impose that meaning by, by means of choice, on on top of the meaningless matter that constitutes you, that makes up you. Um, so it's just raw choice imposed on meaningless matter. And, and that's your essence. So existence, matter churning around, absurd matter churning around, is absolutely meaningless. 
until you can impose your choice on it. Okay, when you impose when you impose your choice on it, then you've got whatever meaning you have, such as such as it is. Well, a four-celled human being, genetic, uh, you know, four cells there, mm-hmm. um, can't choose. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He he can't he can't by force of will impose on his matter. Yeah. Right. He is not exhibiting that kind of choice. So consequently, it's easy for a secularist to dismiss him as a nullity. It's just a cell or just four cells or just nothing. Morning after pill is nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. Because all I'm do- I'm all I'm doing is disposing of matter. Well, then the thing is interesting is a seven-month-old child in the womb, eight months, third trimester child in the womb, can choose. Uh, a child that age has opinions. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and if they can, they can, they are pain sensitive. They shrink from the forceps. They, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they like this. They don't like that. Yeah. Right. They yeah. can, no, they, they can. They respond to music and temperature change. Right. Right, they they choose, yeah. they make choices, uh, but here's the thing: they can't make their choices stick. They are they are yeah. they are powerless against the forceps or powerless against the saline injection. So that tells you that it's not this the um, we're in a might makes right situation because it's the secularists are not saying well it's just the cell that cannot choose, and as soon as as soon as we can detect opinions, we have to respect those opinions. No, they don't respect them at all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they did, they can see what those opinions are, and they impose their will on the child anyway. And so you ha- we have to say, well, um, that mean that must mean the issue is the power differential, right? If the baby is relatively helpless, if if the baby has opinions but cannot effectuate their choice um, then we can dispose of them as we will but but now notice what we've done we have said until you can impose your will on the world around you right until you can impose your will on the world around you you are human but not a person yeah okay you're human but not a person personhood is according to demos currently personhood has to do with those who can choose and who can um, make other people respect that choice. Now, and the basis of that definition is shifting sand. Yes, yes, right. It's going to because what's going to happen is somebody's going to notice. Governor Northam of Virginia noticed yeah. that the newborn child is just as defenseless as the preborn child. Right. And if a child is born with birth defects, let's say we uh, uh, we make a decision, we spend our time, we think about it, and we and we impose our will on the child who cannot fight back, right. who's powerless to fight back. But that's also true of an elderly uh, woman with Alzheimer's, yeah. incontinent in a retirement home, taking up a bed, yeah. <laughs> right, and costing a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. true of her. She's powerless to stop us, also. And this is why you see the logic of this whole, this, this is a train. Um, it begins with that one cell that has no apparent choices, but it starts to be imposed on, on people who resist 
ineffectually, but they resist. And it's not long before we're dealing with Jews in Warsaw right. or, or uh, blacks uh, uh, sold into slavery in the Middle Passage. They have opinions, but they're powerless to effectuate those yeah. opinions. And if Demos says, sure, you're human, but you're not persons. You're not, you're, we're not going to accord you with the legal protections of personhood. Demos, according to their premises, has that right. Yes. Okay. You can't complain about this. So um, the baby boomer generation, which uh, ought to have thought longer and harder about all this before they uh, celebrated the passage of Roe v. Wade mm -hmm. uh, in the States, uh, because they're all marching toward the 80, their 80s and mm -hmm. their 90s. And they're going to find themselves in a position where they have opinions and choices that they cannot enforce. Okay. And they have previously determined that according to their system, their choices, when they are res reduced to that kind of weak and feeble status, need not be respected at all. If you can be a pre-person, if you can be a human being and be a pre-person, you can be a human being and be a post-person. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, so consequently, if for, for Christians, we have to come back and say, well, then we're taking our stand on the basis of God's law word. Okay. God's law word is given to us. God said to Moses on Mount Sinai, thou shalt not do that. Okay. Yeah. So Moses came. Why? So why do I want to protect the lives of the unborn? Well, because Moses came down off of Mount Sinai with the tablet still smoking with the top of the mountain behind him on fire. And he said, can't do it. Mm -hmm. And we say, yes, Lord, that's, that's our response. But that means, and this is the, this is the hinge of everything. I believe that for Christians who are engaged in the pro-life battle, that I, I, I want to say, I'm going to circle back around to this, but uh, there are many pro-life pro-lifers who's, you know, legislators and politicians and stuff who are radically inconsistent and who I'm grateful for their votes on numerous bills, mm -hmm. but it's clear that they don't know what's going on. <laughs> they don't know what's at stake because what's at stake is the, the future of Western civilization. Um, if, if we, if we continue on this road of allowing the pro-choice logic and rhetoric and position to stand, we are going to sink um, sink back into a barbaric form of paganism. Because Demos, if Demos is the case, if Demos is God, then secularism is the case. If secularism is the case, then relativism is the case. And if relativism is the case, then anything goes, including the worst forms and the most despicable forms of absolutism. Yes. Right? It's Now it's arbitrary absolutism. If you worship Jehovah, his rule, his will is absolute. That's, that's true. God's will is absolute. But remember, it's holy mm -hmm. and it's unchangeable. Demos wants to be just as absolute, but his absolutes are capricious and arbitrary and always changing. So it's, it's not a question of absolutism. It's which absolutism? Right. Do we want a lunatic absolutism? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or do we want a constant and predictable absolutism that's grounded in the holy character of, of God? 
Now, that means every pro-lifer in principle is calling for the overthrow of secular democracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we are, if, if the end goal of the pro-life movement is to abolish human abortion, period, and that's what the goal must be. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, one cell, four cells, zygote, um, going to be born tomorrow. All unborn human life carries the image of God, bears the image of God, and must be protected with the full force of the law. That's the end goal. That's that's where we're going. Uh, that end goal is inconsistent with secular democracy. It cannot cannot be secular democracy cannot be consistent with that kind of protection of human life. And you might say, well, it, we were it was, uh, the Western democracies, the United States and Canada and England were in the early twentieth century had pro life laws, pro life legislation. And they were secular democracies mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they were secular democracies with a great deal of Christian capital left over. Right. Right. Um, so they were like the prodigal son on the third day of his binge drinking. So yeah. he, he, yeah. St- he still had some money. Yeah. And, but it was his father's money. It was not his own money. And when he got to the point where he had to make his own money, he's looking at the pig food. He, right. he, can't, right. he can't make it. And we're at that stage in our in western culture and so uh yeah there were times when we were ostensibly uh secular democracies with a great deal of moral capital but we are not that anymore the checks are starting to bounce secular democracy is having to give an account on its own for why this life and that life ought to be protected and secular democracy cannot do it they they do not have the resources to give a coherent account of why a child should be, this child should be protected. And Christians, and this circles back around to what I said earlier about inconsistent pro-lifers. And this and this also overlaps with another issue, which is uh, pro-life absolutism. You know, we need everything changed now uh, versus what I would argue for is a pro-life incrementalism. But I want to argue for what I call pro-life smash mouth incrementalism okay. so you never forget uh, what the ultimate goal is right. so um so if if i'm dealing with a leftist incrementalist uh, let's say in the environmental issue mm-hmm. um out, out in idaho where i am if the environmentalists come and ask for a hundred million acres to be set aside as wilderness Everybody in the room knows that next year, if they get what they want, 100 million acres, everyone knows they're going to be back, back next year demanding more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We're, we, nobody thinks. Well, if we give them what they want, then the whole then the whole discussion yeah, there, is over. We did it. There we did it. It's, it's just not that way because they are consistent incrementalists and incrementalists pursuing their end game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And pro life pro lifers need to be the same way. Now, so here's an example of pro-life inconsistency, um, uh, the heartbeat bills. Right. Okay, so when people introduce a bill <laughs> to protect uh, an unborn child once the heartbeat registers, what, what's sacred about a heartbeat? Right. <laughs> right? Um, uh, gestational rats have a heart, heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You can't, uh, if you say, okay, not, it's not the heartbeat or it's not uh, pain capability, you know, th- those sorts of things I'm happy to embrace 
as a tactic. Sure. But not as a set of definitions. Yeah. Because um, if a particular state or province passes a heartbeat bill, uh, everybody should know that next year we're going to be back with our pre-heartbeat bill. Yes. (laughs) Right? Because we're not going to give up until every human life is honored and respected. Um, But the standard does not arise out of a heartbeat. The standard does not arise out of the sex of the child. Mm -hmm. If you said, well, well, let's, um, let's pass a law prohibiting parents from aborting a child because the child is female. Right. Yes. All right. Well, the, the standard doesn't come from being male or female. The standard doesn't come from having a heartbeat or no heartbeat. The standard does not arise from being having nerve endings and being capable of registering pain. All of those things are good teaching moments to sure. talk about, yeah. but they they aren't the standard. The standard is the law of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So why does someone with a heartbeat have dignity? Why does someone who can register pain have, have dignity? Why should a young girl or a young boy have dignity? Because God's law says we may not take human life from the moment of conception on. Uh, another set of inconsistencies is would be politicians who just are trying to get people to go away. All they're trying to do is vote in a particular way that keeps people out of their office. Yeah, yeah. And they say, well, I'm pro-life with the exception of rape and incest, right. you know, something like that. Yeah. Anybody who talks that way is telling you that they have not thought seriously about the issue at all, mm-hmm. right? Right? Because the issue is, is this unborn child a person created in the image of God? Yeah. Not what did his dad do? Right, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So in a case of rape, for example, the father has been guilty of a crime and there are two victims. You have one criminal and two victims. Yeah. You have the mother who's a victim and you have the child who's a victim and the father who's the criminal. The, the politician who says, except for rape and incest, is saying, and he's offering this as the compassionate option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we have, a, we have one criminal and two victims. Let's execute one of the victims. Yeah. All right. For the crime of the father. And let's call that compassionate. Now, I prefer to call it incoherent. That's just right. that's yeah. just incoherent. And in the case of um, incest, there it's the crime of both parents, right? Yeah. The father and the mother are, guilt, are criminal and just one victim. And then you execute the only innocent person in the whole affair mm-hmm. for the crime of the parents. Um, that, that too is appalling. Now, now let's say um, some rape and incest exception guy introduces a bill in the legislature that's a, that you know protects uh, you know protects unborn life after the after a heartbeat registers mm-hmm. i'm absolutely fine with voting for that bill yeah right, I, right. i'll take it i'll take anything i can get mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay but when i take it i'm not going to be bought off by that right <laughs> right. right so um and the the people who uh, and and I believe that there are uh, inconsistent pro-lifers who could be bought off with a heartbeat bill and could be okay with no Planned Parenthood clinics, no slaughterhouses, no selling of pieces, and be okay with morning-after pills. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if picture picture a society where there's no bloodshed because there's no blood yet formed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? 
all the abortions happen within the first week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All the abortions happen very early on. No, that's not good. That's right. That's not good enough. Right. Uh, well, we, uh, we we can start there. We can start there. Exactly. We start we start at the end where uh, this is the reason why pro uh, despite so many um, losses in the culture wars, mm-hmm. uh, pro lifers have actually done pretty well, um, and that's because of the uh, development of ultrasound technology. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, when Nancy and I were having kids. This was back in the seventies. Uh, uh, ultrasound technology at that time was pre-Cambrian. You know, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, it was. Um, you, we saw we had ultrasound done. I think I think it came in with our th- uh, with our third. It wasn't available for the 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 first two, and uh, and that would have been in the early eighties. And uh, the ultrasound looked like. Uh, a black and white photograph kind of smudged and then with three Xerox copies made of a distant galaxy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say, well, who can tell? Uh, but now ultrasound technology is, you can see the expression on the kid's face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you can say that is a person. Everybody just instinctively knows that's right. a person. And back in the eighties when people were told, well, it's just a cluster of cells. Right, it was easy to get people to believe that, right? Because they couldn't, they couldn't see it, and they didn't want to think about it much, and and so forth. So they they accepted it, many with a bad conscience, but they accepted it, and it wasn't slapping them in the face. Now, when you can see, this is a child, this is a person, this is a boy, this is a girl, um, people can say, oh, and I'm happy to use that instinctive knowledge that they have which they have not yet pushed into the corners yeah okay um i just don't want uh leaders in the pro-life movement to not have pushed it into the corners so yeah uh are we willing am i willing to have uh foot soldiers in the pro-life movement not have it all sorted out you know if there's a million people marching on Washington to end abortion, if 30% of the crowd is muddled on rape and incest or is muddled on, you know, aspects of it, I'm still happy they're there, right? But I don't want the generals to be thinking that way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the foot soldiers, okay, uh, and we want to teach and educate them. Yeah. But what's what's really disastrous is when the when pro-lifers, when pro-life leadership says that the abolition of human abortion is consistent with the continuation of secular democracy. It absolutely is not. Right. In, yeah. in, order, in order for one to go, the other has to go. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, social media has probably um, worked hand-in-hand with improved ultrasound technology, yes. communication technology generally. Yes. Because, like, yeah, like when... Uh, when you were having kids or when, you know, my parents, same thing. But, you know, when, uh, when we were having kids in the, the middle 2000s, the, uh, mm-hmm. my, my oldest is eight, um, you know, we got, we got that ultrasound. It's very clearly a baby. And then we put it online. And yeah. Look at <laughs> all of our, hey, everybody. our 500 closest friends can see it. Yeah. Hey, everybody, meet our child. Yeah. 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 
Notice the dimple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's uh, it's not just like you know you got that ultrasound, you showed it to your parents, and maybe like, but uh, but now every everyone's being confronted with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, uh, something else that needs to be mentioned: unbelieving cultures uh, down through the history of the human race, unbelieving cultures have always practiced human sacrifice. Yeah. Right, some on a whole scale, uh, you know, basis, uh, the Aztecs, mm-hmm. and others uh, intermittently, like the Athenians. Right? Ancient Athenians used to keep a stable of homeless guys. You know, a stable of they were called pharmacoi. Mm-hmm. Um, if the crowd ever got worked up and and they needed a scapegoat, right. they had someone that they could, the mob could kill. Yeah. Right. Um, so some some societies were more bloodthirsty than others. Carthage was blood, you know. Carthage was really bloodthirsty, and I'm grateful that um, that Rome won in the Carth- in the Punic mm. in the Punic Wars against Carthage. But that doesn't. But Rome had its own gladiatorial games. They they had their own um, uh, bloodlusts, and that is the nature of unbelief and. Uh, our secular democracies, our Western secular democracies, have in this respect been no exception. Um, we, we're just no exception at all because uh, if you if you deny the God of Heaven, certain things necessarily and inexorably follow. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You you can't uh, you can't stop them from happening. You can't stop it from following. Um, so if you will not have Jesus to rule over you then you are opting for a system where someone is going to make the ultimate decisions about who lives and who dies. And in unbelieving cultures, it's always a bloodbath. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, met, you mentioned a minute ago um, the, uh, the unfortunate situation where we've got, uh, we've got leaders in the pro-life movement. We've got the generals uh, who don't follow this all the way down. Right. Um, and I'm just I'm just thinking about uh, just recently um, people like Abby Johnson and uh, the Unplanned movie right. and the the, uh, the movie on Kermit Gosnell yeah. a few months before that. Right. Uh, what What do you make of these or these kinds of attempts? These kinds of, uh, I, of I, I would say uh, more power to them. Great. <clears throat> um, let Let's do more. Let's go. Let's go further up and further in. Um, so I know, and this is, a, I said in my blog post that I've been very great. It's, it's really striking to me that um, over, we're over a biblical generation downstream from the Roe decision in the States. And, and yet abortion is still not only a political issue, but a hot political issue. Yeah. Right. So we're 50 years, uh, 50 years later. And it's still a, a hot one, okay? And that has been the work of traditional pro-lifers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, in recent years, just in the last few years, a, uh, um, a movement of younger pro-lifers, um, uh, impatient pro-lifers, has arisen. And I'm grateful for that, too. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful for the traditional pro-lifers who have kept this issue alive for all this time. 
and I'm grateful for the impatience that is starting to be shown. But the traditional, you know, fight out the long war uh, has its temptations, mm-hmm. and one of them is to compromise on on the edges. Yeah, that's the temptation, and the impatient, imp, the impatience, uh, end abortion ten minutes ago. Yeah, uh, also has its temptations. So the um, the abolitionists who say, um, you know, what would you do? You know, say if you're um, if you're the president of the United States and a bill passes uh, Congress, um, or or uh, the way it's set up, it'd probably be uh, better to have it be a case that comes to the Supreme Court. If you're a Supreme Court justice and an opportunity to overturn Roe um, comes before you. And you're a Christian, you're evangelical, you're reformed, you've got a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. and you've got to vote. Okay? And if you if you vote with this way, then Roe will be will be overturned, which will return the issue to the states. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you vote in favor in favor of the um, uh, striking this down, yeah. that means that unborn children in California, Illinois, New York, and Massachusetts are all still fair game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you will save the la- lives of countless children in Idaho, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, because yeah. thirty some northwards of thirty states would pass pro life legislation almost right away. Right. Okay, uh, and there would be certain parts of the country where it would be just like it was under Roe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you say no, it's all fifty states or nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think that that's uh, cutting off your nose to spite your face. Mm-hmm. You you just don't understand that the point the point is not to be a perfectionist with your ideology. The point is to save as many human lives as we can right because god's yeah. law demands it yeah. now you know, firefighters thinking that way yeah you you have to make triage decisions mm-hmm. uh, battlefield surgeons have to make triage decisions firefighters have to make those kinds of decisions and as, so long as everybody knows that we would save them all if we could yeah okay um if if i had an opportunity to um, vote on something that would save the lives of the kids in california and new york I would vote for that too. Yeah, you know, I would vote yeah. for that too. And uh, what I'm hoping to do is have the uh, the pro life uh, standard adopted by the majority of the states again to be a base from which we can exert pressure. Yes. On on the remaining states. Uh, and if someone says no, uh, the, the abolition, the strict abolitionist, wants to say that he, they cannot support any legislation that says. And after that, it's okay to kill the baby. No, we never say it's okay to kill the baby. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't say that. And the problem is when you have some uh, pro-life leaders who are apparently saying that, or you know, opposing uh, strict, uh, stricter legislation because they don't think it would be uh, politically advantageous, or you know, they've gotten so sucked into the long game that they've forgotten what the long game is all about. Right. right. That that's yeah. a yeah. that really is a that really is a problem. But just it, biding your time, maybe voting 
against it in some of the smaller cases. Yes. Um, uh, and, and I just think that there is, I'm fond of saying that no reformation was ever uh, accomplished to the background of polite golf applause. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and so you're, you're going to have a, there's going to be a head on collision at some point. And I think that we have to have our, um, keep our powder dry, keep our wits sharp, keep mm -hmm. our eye clear, and be driving toward that moment where we have to decide. So Elijah on Mount Carmel says, if Jehovah is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And, and we are, it says, and the people answered him not a word. You know, they're, they're just standing there. And I think that we're at that kind of crossroads. If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus rose from the dead, then we should follow him and we should outlaw human abortion. If he is not Lord, if he didn't rise from the dead, or if his resurrection from the dead is this invisible spiritual truth having nothing whatever to do with human art, culture, law, etc., um, then we don't have to follow him in the public sphere. Right. But if we're confessing Christians, he rose from the dead and was ascended into heaven and was given authority over all tribes, nations, powers, dominions, languages. Uh, uh, and in the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, disciple the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And part of what Jesus has commanded is to stop killing the babies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's part. And so consequently, there's no such thing as a Great Commission Christian who is not adamantly pro-life uh, it's just it's just a simply a non-negotiable right yeah absolutely uh one of the uh one of the things that uh, you've said in a couple of different contexts uh with regards to the culture wars is to to look for the decisive point or the uh, yes the point of uh where your efforts can have a disproportionate impact yes uh -huh. uh, do you do you see the, that point in uh, in the abortion fight uh-huh I do I think um, the abortion fight is has the advantage of being stark and clear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, so if people are thinking emotionally so for here's the difference between the pro it's this is the difference between uh, uh, pro-life the pro-life issue and the same-sex mirage issue Um when the harm in, in the abortion battle, particularly with ultrasound technology and what's at stake and the gruesome photos of the, of the end result of abortion yeah. and the exposure videos of, that David DeLayden uh, yeah, yeah. did of Planned Parenthood, um, the, the, uh, the carnage is apparent. It's obvious. Okay. Yeah. Um, on, on gay, stuff lesbians and homosexuals uh the harm is not apparent to people well right. they, i i know some homosexual friends at work and they seem like reasonable people and what's what's the harm if they love each other yeah right yeah. um the, and so it's not immediately apparent what's going on and i would prefer not to follow them into their lifestyle to find out what's going on yeah i'm just going to treat it like they're middle class people they're it's um, just suburban America, just suburban Canada, just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit different. It's a, it, it can be made to appear 
as a lifestyle choice. Right. Right. That's all you, you like uh, lattes and I don't. Um, but abortion is, is stark. And I think abortion, even though abortion is a bigger deal, I think than some of these other issues, it's also more winnable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a decisive point is uh, a point in the battle which is simultaneously strategic and feasible. Yeah. All right. If you take that point, you won the battle. And it's possible to take that point. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, so you attack. You you shouldn't attack um, places where the enemy is invulnerable. Yeah. You're just wasting your energy, wasting your ammo, wasting your time. Um, you should be looking, testing the enemy for places where they have true vulnerability, and where if you attack that point and take it, the thing's over. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, I think we have a much better shot at um, overcoming the bad guys on the abortion issue than we do on the other, uh, some of these other issues. Right. Um, yeah. Like social justice warriors say, let's feed the poor. What's wrong with feeding the poor? What's wrong with uh, this poor guy getting his fair share? Yeah. <laughs> right. Now there's a lot there. Well, there's a host of lies embedded in that, but tender-hearted Christians will say, yeah, what's wrong with him having a warm meal? Sure. What's wrong with him who having... Could be against that? Who could be against him having a roof over his head? Yeah. Uh, so let's make some fat cat pay his fair share and, and we'll give him a warm meal and a roof over his head. Now, there's a bunch of lies involved in that, mm-hmm. but uh, let's not fight there. Uh, well, I think we should fight there, but I don't think we should pour our resources into it because if we win the abortion battle... Mm-hmm. I said earlier that secular democracy is going to go, if, if uh, the pro-choice mentality goes down, secular democracy is going down. Yes. And if secular democracy goes down, so does the social justice thing. So does the same-sex mirage thing. It, it, it's all of a piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, because if Jehovah, if Jehovah is God, follow him. pumped up about that that's exciting <laughs> okay uh, just to uh maybe put the shoe on the other foot just to okay. come at it from a slightly different angle um sp- speak for a minute uh to to those tender-hearted christians or to those uh those those frightened christians who might say yeah i, I am personally pro-life i am personally opposed to abortion but you know for whatever reason uh they don't they feel disqualified from from speaking publicly on the issue, uh, maybe they right. like they have they have somebody who's who's pro-abortion who has had an abortion. They don't want to lose that relationship or come out in condemnation. Right. So, as a pastor, um, uh, I'm I'm also fond of saying that the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a rest home for saints. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I've I've got people in my congregation who've had abortions. Right. Right. Um, you can't do evangelism in this world without speaking to people who've had abortions sure. or who've pressured their girlfriend to get an abortion or who, you know, yeah. you, you've, yeah. that's who we're speaking to. And I, you don't ever want to say, and the way to win them to Jesus is by telling them lies yeah. or, yeah. <laughs> or, or by, uh, refusing to read them the fine print. Mm-hmm. No, um, uh, the whole point of inviting people to Christ 
is that Christ saves sinners and Christ forgives sin. And Christ forgives the sin of abortion. He forgives the sin of murder. Um, David committed murder and repented and was forgiven. Mm-hmm. Okay, The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament, I believe was guilty of murder. He says when um, Christians, he says in one place, when Christians were condemned to death, he cast his vote against them, indicating, he doesn't say this outright, but I think he was a member of the Sanhedrin, right. which, which meant that he... Uh, had blood on his hands, and I believe that he had the blood of Stephen on his hands. Right. He was holding holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen, but those who stoned Stephen were um, uh, the witnesses against him. According to Jewish law, the men who testified against someone were the ones who executed. That's right. Um, and, but we know from the text that those witnesses were suborned. They were, they were um, somebody else put them up to it. Yeah. And the men who put them up to it were men from the synagogue of the freedmen. Um, and one of the regions that was represented in the synagogue of the freedmen was Cilicia. Uh, well, Tarsus is in Cilicia. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, so I think uh, the unconverted Paul was one of those men who tried to shut down Stephen in a debate and got shut down. Mm. Right. And I also believe that Paul was a genius, brilliant, aggressive. And I think he's the kind of person who would not take losing a debate to a deacon right. well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I think he was part, I think Paul was part of those who, uh, who killed Stephen. He approved of Stephen's death, but he was also smart enough and brilliant enough to know that killing a man is not the same thing as refuting him. And he was wound when he headed off to Damascus, I believe Saul of Tarsus was wound tight mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and had blood on his hands. He, uh, he says later in the pastorals he was blasphemer and an insolent man. And we know that he had, he had blood guilt. Yeah. And God... Yeah, that, he calls himself you know, chief of sinners. And like those, those sins that he, that he outlines there, Paul's not chief of unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The apostle Paul had blood in his hands and God used him to write the majority of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, so consequently... We invite people to Christ and we don't minimize their sin as a way of getting them to sign on with Jesus. What we want to do is preach the law of God. Their, their sin needs to be maximized the right way so that when they repent, they repent down to the ground. And it's like all of Judea going out to John the Baptist. Mm. where they, they, they and, and one of the things that John the Baptist does is he turns the hearts of the fathers Back to their children, back to the children, the hearts of the children, back to the fathers. There's restoration of marriage and the the fruitfulness of marriage. Um, and so consequently, I would say to those who've had an abortion themselves or then feel not qualified or, or I don't want to lose my, my friendship or I don't want to disrupt my family because I know that people have had abortions. Well, um, do you want to follow? Do you want to be faithful to Christ or not? Right. Don't do it in a clunky or ham, ham-handed way, mm-hmm. but stand for the truth as it is in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Don't uh, don't show up for Thanksgiving with a you know <laughs> with a, a r- right sandwich board on it. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. right. That's uh, that's useful. That's helpful. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's probably some of both, um, but uh, I'm. 
I'm paying more attention to this than I was 10 years ago. And also it is more out there in, uh, in our faces. Mm -hmm. um, can you, can you just recommend, uh, whether it's uh, watching some of those uh, David Delaney videos or other uh, other reading or viewing or organizations who, who we should uh, we should check out so oh. just to, to get to get more in the game get, getting up getting up to speed um, I think some of the uh, uh, yeah this is a new world I think some of the Center for Medical Progress is that it uh, I think so. CMP. Uh, David Delayden, D-A-L-E-I-D-A-N, I believe. Uh, D-E-N. D-E-N. I'll find out. David Delayden, uh, Center for Medical Progress, and they've been uh, legally persecuted, yes. uh, pursued, yeah. and um, be, for what they did in exposing what was going on. I think that that's a good. I think that's a good place to start, perhaps for motivation. But I think that going back to what I was saying at the first, the the uh, the basic thing that Christians have to get straight is the exegesis. Right. You know what what does the Bible say, and is the Bible authoritative over every aspect of uh, human life? And so one of the things I do is I'd commend uh, the literature that you're putting out here at the Ezra Institute, which addresses that macro question. Mm -hmm. Is the word of God authoritative in human affairs? Uh, we're doing a lot of the same thing with Canon Press, New St. Andrews College. Uh, the word of God is authoritative in all human affairs. That's sort of a non-negotiable. Then, then when you um, uh, turn to some of the basic, what are the basic uh, you know, arguments, biblical arguments. A good book uh, is, uh, is Evangelical Ethics by uh, John Jefferson Davis. It's got a section on um, on the life issue. If you, basically, it doesn't take much to acquaint yourself with how straightforward the Bible's teaching is uh, on this. Right, right. Yeah, there's not, not a whole lot of room for nuance. No, and, and it's pretty clear. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Doug, thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Oh, good. pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.